0: the heritage foundation. I'm Tim Desher and this is Heritage Explains. Last week, a caravan of a few hundred people left northern Honduras for America with a common mission.
1: Our message is we're not criminals. We're coming over here because we want to work. We need a job. We need better, you know, a better life. That's why we're here.
0: The caravan of migrants have since crossed into Mexico and are steadily making the 1,500-mile journey toward the U.S. border, growing to nearly 7,000 people, according to some estimates. In response, President Trump tweeted that if Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador did not act to stop the migrants, he might shut down the U.S. border, call in the military for protection, and substantially reduce foreign aid to these nations. And just like that, the press has their narrative. It's the Honduran migrants against Trump.
1: The president just extended this threat to El Salvador and Guatemala. Why is he so tough on the meek and so meek on, with the tough? If anyone comes, that's it. Even if they're running for their lives and seeking asylum, then do us a favor. Have mercy on the lady in the harbor,
0: because you are making a mockery of her pledge. You understand that President Trump is going to use the pictures of thousands of people surging to the gates against you. Donald Trump is the antichrist, this man says. If he doesn't repent,
1: he's going to hell. We are not criminals, we are workers and fighters. When you talk about caravan, you're talking about white anxiety. You're talking about old white man angst. And so when they bring up the caravan, that's all we need to do is to bring up the pictures of children being separated from their families.
0: And one thing that I want to add is not only, uh, in my opinion, is the language that we've heard from the president over the past couple of days, um, obviously racist and completely uh, abhorrent, but it has uh, extreme real-world consequences. But while the media continues to stoke this fire and acts as if this is the battle royale for the heavyweight championship, a majority of Americans in favor of border security are being ignored. And the health, safety, and security of the migrant caravan is at risk. But is this caravan really an organic uprising of self-determined people looking for a better future? Or are they being organized and weaponized for political gain by people who don't like the U.S. Unfortunately, it looks like the latter and not the former. So what is actually going on with this persistent caravan? Who's organizing it? What happens if they make it to the U.S.-Mexico border? Are they even eligible to seek asylum in the U.S.? Our friend Anna Quintana from the Allison Center for Foreign Policy Studies here at the Heritage Foundation weighs in. Anna, this caravan seems to be well-organized and well-funded. Many people on the right have pointed to left-wing groups trying to influence the upcoming midterms, and many on the left throw their hands up and say, this is an organic march of people looking for a better life in America.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a totally manufactured crisis, right? I mean, I think this was various leftist groups that got together and said, hey, let's get all these people together. There's safety in numbers. Let's march them up to the United States. And let's see how we can overwhelm U.S. immigration authorities just by their sheer numbers. And so that—that's that, that's yeah. the goal. To, well, that's that's to exactly it. That's exactly it to overwhelm by their numbers because that's exactly what they tried to do earlier this year. I remember this is the second caravan, right? There, there was a, there was a caravan earlier this year in March, and it was the same strategy: overwhelm immigration authorities. How are they funded? Well, see, that's the question. I'm not so convinced that this is a well-funded operation. You know, these people are sleeping on the streets. I mean, there's it's these people come from desperate situations, right? They're they're living in desperate situations as they're making their way towards the United States. It's the organizers of these campaigns that are using their desperations for political objectives. And that's what we should be angry about.
0: You wrote the timing and I'll just quote you here. Mm-hmm. The timing before the U.S. midterm elections and the change of presidency in Mexico is not coincidental. It is also clear the caravan organizers are more interested in creating turmoil than the well-being of the migrants, essentially weaponizing poor Central Americans. Now, that sounds like a tactic straight out of the left's playbook.
2: I mean, that's that's exactly what it is. And I think that one of the critical things aside from the U.S. election, it's particularly the change of the presidency in in Mexico, right, because the left in Latin America, particularly in Central America, has complained that the Mexican government has done the U.S.'s dirty work of deporting Central Americans, you know, and to the Mexican government's credit, the current Mexican government, they've done a fantastic job of recognizing that Central Americans in their country illegally are violating their sovereignty. And unless they have credible claims. Of asylum should go back to their home countries, and so they've maintained great levels of cooperation with the Trump administration. There have been great, great you know cooperation programs, but the the incoming the the new the newly elected president in Mexico shares a different perspective. You know, he has said that he doesn't want to do the United States' dirty work; that he rather wants to kind of focus on development programs in Central America, uh, that kind of to provide people in Central America with more economic opportunities. And I believe, you know, there there should be kind of we, we should focus more on providing we rather we should focus on providing Central Americans with economic opportunities. But that's the responsibility largely of Central American governments. It should not largely be the responsibility of, of the United States. But that does not mean that we should allow people to break U.S. law and to break the Mexican government's law as well.
0: The media narrative now is that Trump is politicizing this issue for midterm elections. What's your response to this? I
2: mean, honestly, I I wish that if even 50 percent of the attention and the anger and the vitriol that is being redirected, that's being directed towards the United States was redirected towards these corrupt governments in Central America to kind of, you know, to get their act together and to provide their people with better opportunities, we would not be in this situation
0: currently speaking with president trump's response and obviously the media reads a single tweet and they just they just pin it trump versus everybody trump versus yeah. them trump versus them do you do you see that or do you think that there has been a balanced response so far
2: I mean, look, I think the, the media needs to just they automatically like latch on to everything and just assume that it's this apocalyptic end of the world situation. And that could not be further from the truth. Right. The moment that the caravan crisis started, even from before that, the president sent Secretary Pompeo and, and State Department officials down to Mexico and down to Panama to meet with their counterparts down there to develop strategies as to how can they best find a solution that's going to benefit not just the United States, but also their regional partners. Right. And they're looking for long term solutions here. But they also need the U.S. Congress to do their part, because now we're faced with a situation as to what's going to happen when these guys arrive to the U.S. border. You know, there's just various other kind of components here, which I hope my colleagues can later kind of elaborate on as to how limited the United States government is when these guys arrive here, because we have various catch and release policies that limit us, that limit the United States as to, you know, kind of what as to what can be done. And so and also another kind of fact, the media... Likes to portray the president as very, you know, kind of he hates the Western Hemisphere. He hates Latin America. He hates the Mexican government. He hates kind of, you know, he just has a horrible hate foreign hatred, hatred filled foreign policy. But a few months ago, Mexico's foreign minister actually said that his government has a better relationship with the Trump administration than he has than than they had with even the Obama administration or with any other administration in, in history because it was just such a high level of cooperation. I mean, you don't say that in a vacuum, right? You don't just say that if there really isn't something there.
0: Understanding the how and the why is important. But where do we go from here? More on that after a short break.
2: Want to get up to speed about the Supreme Court? Then subscribe to SCOTUS 101, a podcast about everything that's happening at the Supreme Court and what the justices are up to.
0: So let's focus on the law enforcement aspect of the caravan. I asked David and Sarah, a policy analyst in the Davis Center for National Security and Foreign Policy here at the Heritage Foundation, what happens when and if the caravan arrives at the U.S.-Mexico border? David, uh, this journey so far, nearly, when all said and done, nearly 2,000 miles from Honduras to whatever border crossing they come to. Mm -hmm. What happens if they get to the border?
1: Yeah, so right now, the U.S. has a significant problem with um, the way our laws are enforced. Uh, When people get to our border, we have what's unfortunately been, you know, uh, it's a bad name, but catch and release. Uh, It doesn't sound very good. It's not very good. Um, what's happening right now is that there are some laws in the books that require that we treat uh, people who come to the United States with small children in tow, We're not even sure that they're their children, but with children in tow, we are required because of the combination of U.S. laws and certain court cases, we are required to basically release them into the United States within 20
0: days. So let me stop you there. Are we just to assume that they're going to illegally cross or will they go the right way, will they get in line and, and do that once they get to the border? Yeah, this that's a great question. So we don't know. So unfortunately, most people
1: try to sneak across the border. And so what happens is, is that, and you're bringing up a great point here, which is the concept of asylum. How do you seek asylum? So that's what many people here in this caravan are supposedly going to be, you know, they're supposedly seeking asylum. Um, to seek asylum, you can do it two ways. You can either do it affirmatively. You show up at a port of entry and say, I would like asylum. And then we have a process for dealing with you because you've done it the right way. You've done it legally. It, that, there's, there's nothing illegal about that. Many other people are going to sneak across the border. We're going to catch them. And then when we're in the process of deporting them, they'll say, No, you can't deport me because I would like to now seek asylum defensively. And so it comes and, and this. So the problem is, is that you combine that with this whole new policy of catch and release, which, like I said, is required because of certain court cases. If you claim asylum, you have a child with you. We can't adjudicate your asylum case in less than 20 days, which means we have to release the child. The earlier policy of the Trump administration was no tolerance, which meant that we have to release the child, but we're still going to hold on to the parents because they broke a law. They illegally crossed the border. But then that was dividing uh, you know, parents from children and the big outcry about that. So now the, the de facto policy is, well, we have to release the children and we don't want to divide the families.
0: So we just release them all and hope they show up in an immigration court in a few years. So we're just hoping we're not tracking them. We're not we're not making sure they don't meet up with people that are already here that give them a house and food and clothing. So, and- so in
1: some cases we are. Uh, in some cases we are, but the reality is is that it's it's beyond our capacity to effectively manage. Recently, we've seen reports even in you know we've seen reports in the the Washington Post uh, places are talking about DHS officials are saying, look, we have so many people, and we have to meet this twenty-day deadline. That we are literally, we don't, we can't even figure out their travel arrangements to figure out where they're going. They their immigration court or the, their their sponsor or whatever they're supposed to be going is in Connecticut. We don't even know how they're getting connect to Connecticut. We our time is out. Our twenty days are up. We have to release them, so we're dropping them at the local bus stop. Where the the, the the same DHS official I think was was quoted as saying, "The dam is breaking." Uh, yeah.
0: So it's safe to say that maybe a strategy for them is to gum up the courts to over keep overwhelming them and and they can get away with more is that is i mean that, I, I, that also way, I, w- I wouldn't say that this is a concerted strategy by the average
1: illegal immigrant the average illegal immigrant is coming here because they want a better life they heard that the ticket to a better life is come into the united states with a child and then we will release you so they're being told by by people other activists, or by the drug cartels who are trying to sell them, uh, uh, you know, a smuggling operation into the United States. They're being sold this, and the reality is, is though, if they do get to the United States through the drug cartels or through these caravans or however they get here, if they've got a child in tow, many of them are being released. So it's they're responding to a reality and just trying to, you know. Take advantage of that, um, but I think it's mostly, like I said, being done by the smugglers and these far left, far left activists who are trying to gin this up, rather than the average illegal immigrant who's really just looking out for themselves.
0: If you listen to people being interviewed who are a part of the march or reporters reporting on the march, and I want to say march the migration, what is the criteria for claiming asylum? They say, oh, our country is so poor, or our country is is violent. Well, a lot of places are poor and violent. So does that mean they can come to the U.S. and claim asylum as well? What is what is the criteria for this? How can you be granted that? Yeah, this is the real crux of the issue. And this is the problem that we currently face.
1: Um, I, I, this is another one of the problems that we face. In addition to our loopholes, we've got an asylum problem that we can't, we can't adjudicate these fa- cases even fast enough. But yeah, what is asylum? So to receive asylum it's actually the same definition as someone who's seeking to become a refugee you have to be persecuted based on your race your religion your political opinion your membership in a social group if you don't meet those criteria then you don't get asylum so if you're the victim of crime you're as you just pointed out there's crime everywhere being a victim of crime does not mean that you get to you know, get asylum in the united states Similarly, if you you could be, for example, a a gay business owner in an area that's controlled by the mafia or by the local gang, well, you 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 could, in theory, qualify for asylum, but only if they specifically persecuted you because you were gay. If let's say in that entire area the mob is just you know they're perse- they're they're taking money from everyone because right. that's what mobs do, then you weren't persecuted because you were gay. You were perse- you were you were coerced. Violence was done against you. Because that's what the mob does. And that's the difference. It's not enough there to be for there to be just general violence in a society. It has to be that you were specifically picked on. Violence was done to you, or you were threatened specifically because of one of these characteristics. And unfortunately, that's and generally speaking, that's not really the case in most of these asylum cases that we're seeing.
0: David, thanks so much, and let's get some tea soon. Let's do it. And that's it for this week's episode of Heritage Explains. Please share our podcast with your friends on social media, and don't forget to subscribe. To keep the conversation going after you subscribe to the podcast, please leave us a comment. Thanks so much, and we'll be back next week.
2: Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher, with editing by Thalia Rampersad.